Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. This morning who come broken and hurting. And we lift up to you in particular the Wyan family. Pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just comfort them and draw them close to you. Father, we pray for the Rodlin family as they too grieve in a very different way. We pray for that young man, Lord, who who must struggle with uh, a choice he made and in an instant things went badly. We pray, Father, that you just be with those families this morning. And Father, as we talk about love this morning, we recognize that uh, sometimes love is hard to experience, hard to find. And we thank you that you promised to come to us and to restore to us the fullness of your love as we seek your face and as we gather in your name. And so we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would come upon us, that we would be witnesses to that love, that the world might know that you love us that much, that you would give yourself for us. So be with us as we worship. Draw us close to you, that we might celebrate your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Judges. As we continue our study of the different judges, we come now to a judge named Jephthah. And Jephthah is quite the character. And so we're going to look this morning at who he is. And the question is, where is love? What does love got to do with it? And this is how the story goes. Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. Sometimes later... When the Ammonites made war on Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites and you will be our head over all who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, the Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them. And he repeated all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. May God add God's blessing to the reading and hearing. Love, shucks, ain't it sweet? Uh, It's Valentine's Day this week, Tuesday, folks, in case you're behind the times. Tuesday is Valentine's Day, and so you want to make sure you mark that in your calendars. It's a great time to celebrate love. It's a great time to, to get our Valentines out and share our Valentines with our Valentines. I remember when I was in elementary school. Anybody remember elementary school? Yeah. You remember how you, 
You made Valentine's. I don't know if you did this in your, but we always made Valentine's. That was in a Michigan thing, right? Yeah, I'm sure they only did that in Michigan. And you make your Valentine and, and you put it in, and what we always, well, what we usually did was there was like some kind of folder that was hung on the back of your chair and everybody would go around and put their Valentines in. Yeah, always a scary day for me. Because the rest of y'all, everybody got a valentine. But I was never sure. Yeah, all together. One, two, three. Thank you. And then they laugh at me. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> no, but uh, there, there was always that, that anxiousness. I mean, what if no one? I mean, I, I think the teachers were good and made sure everybody got a valentine. But there was always that one special one that you wanted. You know what I'm saying? So you'd start looking through. Kenny's <laughs> no. <laughs> there is now, Kenny. <laughs> She's sitting next to you. You better believe it. <laughs> that special Valentine. <laughs> okay. Oh, she loves you, Kenny. Uh, so anyway, so how do we get off on these rabbit tracks? Uh, for some people, Valentine's Day. Isn't that wonderful day, right? For some people, Valentine's Day is a difficult day. Um, maybe it's because their Valentine is no longer here. Or maybe it's because the one that they considered a Valentine um, didn't consider them a Valentine. Or maybe it's because they really just don't feel loved. You ever been there? Where you felt like maybe nobody cared? Like you weren't loved. Um, if you haven't been a teenager yet, you probably will. <laughs> um, and if you haven't uh, lost that first love, you might. There are those times in our lives when we feel like that love just isn't there. And sometimes circumstances happen in our lives. And in the midst of those circumstances, we begin to question, are we really loved? We even might even question, does God really love us? I know a lot of people who in those moments have had their faith challenged and, and those whose faith were, was really weak or thin uh, have even at times walked away from the faith. Because they, they ask the question, if God really loves me, then why? Why did this happen to me? Why did I experience this? How can I know a God of love when there's so much evil in the world? Have you ever heard that question? I hear that question a lot. People ask me that all the time. And I'm reminded again how we as human beings are really quite fragile when it comes to our emotions. And in particular when it comes to our feeling of loneliness and that struggle with love. I believe that, that Jephthah is no exception. Here's Jephthah. Now, once again, we've been talking about the judges. And remember, judges aren't like Judge Judy. Judges are those who lead the people of Israel. And so judges come, and as they're judging, they're leading, they, they, they uh, arbitrate disputes, but they also set direction and and get people encouraged and, and are supposed to lead people toward God. And 
as we started in the book of Judges, what we saw was God was choosing judges. And so those judges, you remember Gideon, for instance, he goes and he chooses Gideon. And Gideon comes and leads God's people and is successful, and we see God at work in that. But what we've seen as we've walked through the book of Judges is now the people don't wait for God, nor do they call upon God. They've been doing it their own way, and so they call upon a human being that they think can deliver them. And in this case, they call upon a guy named Jephthah. Now, I, I want to stop just a minute because I believe this is a, a, a key to us not understanding the love of God. When we find ourselves in crisis or when we find ourselves looking for a deliverer or deliverance, too often we look within ourselves or within the human family to find our way out. I can figure this one out. I can work my way out. I can get out of this if I only have the right person or the right understanding or the right knowledge. I've been listening a lot this week. Uh, uh, Nick uh, um, Vile uh, asked a couple weeks ago that we pray for him because uh, one of his co-students uh, had read The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins and um, and Richard Dawkins is an atheist who believes that uh, God is not really, is not real, that he doesn't exist. And he wrote this whole book to try to prove that. Richard Dawkins, an incredible mind, a uh, very smart person. Uh, once again, here was someone looking uh, within himself to try to find the answers. And, and he suggests that the problem with God is God is a God of the gaps. Have you ever heard that? That, that God is the God, if we can't understand it, we say, well, that must be God. Right? So as we're looking at science and there's something we can't explain, we say, well, that must be God uh, because we can't explain it. What he says is someday we'll have enough knowledge to understand it. Therefore, we don't need a God of the gaps and therefore there isn't a God. What he doesn't get is that God is not a God of the gaps. God is the creator who started it all in the first place. And when we begin to look at God as God of the gaps, when I'm in a desperate situation, I turn to God. Otherwise, I can do it on my own. We get ourselves in trouble very quickly. And we get into this habit of thinking that somehow I can solve it on my own. And so when we get in struggles in our own lives, to whom do we turn? When you find yourself in a mess, whether it's a mess you created or someone else created, to whom do you turn? Do you say, oh, I'll figure this out, I can make this work? Or do you stop and say, I need help? When you're looking to try to figure out how to get through this life with a lot of hope and a lot of joy and a lot of peace, to whom do you turn? If you stop at a funeral and really start thinking about what is next after this, to whom do you turn? And quite frankly, that's the problem, isn't it? When we're starting to trust ourselves rather than our God, we find ourselves in those last moments realizing that there's nothing I can do at the end. Mike and I were talking this morning. What happens, you know, five seconds from now, if that's the time for you to leave this earth, what happens? Can you change that? Can you make that different? Can you get through that without the help of our almighty God? No. But the good news is, our God loves us. 
And because of that, he comes into our lives today so that we can call upon him and he can do great things in and through us despite the circumstances around us. So we find ourselves in the difficult situation. When we find ourselves even at that funeral service, there is still hope. Because we know a God who loves us and who has come to deliver us and give us eternal life. Have you put your trust in that kind of God? Because that kind of God is the kind of God who loves you desperately. So here's Jephthah. And the question about Jephthah's life as I read through this came to me over and over again. What does love got to do with this? I want you to look at what happened in Jephthah's life. His life is some broken. Think about it. Even at birth, he's born to a prostitute. His father had, had a relationship with a prostitute, and here he became pregnant, or she became pregnant. He became pregnant. She became pregnant and gave birth to Jephthah. Now I want you to think about that a minute. Is, is that kind of child a child that's wanted? Does, is that a result of a love relationship? Not at all. That's a, a result of anything but a love relationship. And yet here's Jephthah. And the good news for Jephthah, whether he knows it or not, is whether his parents were in love, his God is in love. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells us that at birth, God knew him. And even in his mother's womb, God knew him and loved him. He wasn't an accident in God's eyes. He was planned by God. I think that's amazing to me. Uh, I was talking to a lady just yesterday, and she said, well, I was born by accident in New Jersey. And I said, wasn't everybody. Uh, no, that's <laughs> born in New Jersey. <laughs> uh, no, but my fear was, what she was saying was, I was an accident. You're not an accident. I don't care if your parents planned it or not. You're not an accident. God knew who you were. And knows who you are. And because of his love, he brought you into this world. You are desperately loved. And here's Jephthah. What a horrible experience. Not only that, as he grows up, his brothers make a big deal about the fact that he wasn't really a part of their family. And they kick him out. Here's Jephthah. Uh, a young man trying to find out who he is and what he discovers is he doesn't belong. And they don't show him any love. They kick him out. And by the way, if you're trying to find love in the human family, watch out. Because I don't care who loves you in the human family. At some point, it'll come back to bite you. That doesn't mean they don't love you. That means they're human and therefore flawed. And that love will not be visible at some point. And if you don't believe that, look at the statistics. Even today, we know that two-thirds of marriages end in divorce. Why is that? And you know what most people say when they get divorced? I don't love him or I don't love her anymore. That's the way human love tends to fall apart because humans are, are frail and, and they, they struggle. And so when I struggle and you struggle and we're supposed to love each other, it becomes very difficult. The good news is that although these brothers kicked Jephthah out, God loved Jephthah. He didn't forget him. He didn't draw him out. He, he followed him wherever he went, begging him to realize how much the Almighty God loved him. That's awesome. One of the greatest love stories that we read in Scripture is that parable Jesus told. You remember, it's the parable of the two sons. 
We usually call it the parable of the prodigal son. But, but the amazing part of that story is not that the, the boy went off and squandered all he had in riotous living, as the King James Version says. Uh, you know, that's, uh, that's normal, right? Well, not normal, but that happens a lot. We make stupid choices. We make bad choices. We try to make good choices, and yet we find ourselves making choices that we thought were good that ended up not so good, and we find ourselves in a mess. And, and the point of the story is not that the boy came home. I mean, what else is he going to do? So he finally swallows his pride, and he says, okay, uh, my, my father's servants eat better than this. He's eating out of the, the uh, pig trough there. I, I might as well head home. So he heads home. And the most incredible part is not the part where he gets there and he starts to explain to his dad how horrible things were and how sorry he is. The incredible part of the story is that while he's still a long way off, you see, his dad runs. I say his dad. We usually say his father. His dad in that moment runs to him, grabs him in his arms and gives him that hug waiting for him to come home, looking for him, watching for him, runs to him. And you see, the story doesn't end there because you remember there's the older brother. The older brother who's upset because now dad's throwing a party for the younger brother. And so the younger brother refuses to go into the house. And so the incredible part is not that the older brother refuses to go into the house. It's not that the younger brother got a party. It's not that the older brother has his nose up in the air. It's not that the older brother is upset. What's incredible is in the middle of the party, dad notices the older brother isn't there. And he does what? He goes out to find the older brother. And why does he do that? Because he loves them. And so even when you feel all alone, like everybody has rejected you, like everybody's pushing you away, even when you find yourselves running, trying to get someplace where you feel more comfortable, where you feel okay, even when you find yourself running from job to job to job, looking for that satisfaction in life, even when you're looking here, there, and everywhere, from this person to that person, looking for a relationship that will actually make you feel okay inside, while you're doing that, the Almighty God is following you around. Wanting you just to see how much he loves you. And if you would turn to him, you'd find an incredible love. Jephthah, on the other hand, runs into these uh, adventurers. I I love it. Uh, These adventurers, the scripture calls them here. Uh, That's a horrible translation. Uh, Outlaws would be a better translation. He finds himself with some real bad dudes. And he's chief bad dude. Did you notice that? They're all following him. And that's the kind of people he finds himself with. And so in the midst of his loneliness, looking for something, uh, he he finds himself with these these outlaws, and and he's just seeking for a place to belong. And you may be looking for a place to belong, a place where you fit in, a place where you feel like, ah, this is going to be okay. Well, i got a great place for you. You see, when you feel left out, when you feel alone, when you feel by yourself, there's a Savior, a guy named Jesus, who is really close. You know how I know that? Because when Jesus walked on this earth, you know, how he, you know who he hung out with? He didn't hung out, hang out with the church folk. Did you know that? He didn't hang out with church folk. And he didn't, he didn't hang out with the rich folk. And he didn't hang out with those who had it all together. Jesus hung out with... Tax collectors. Where's Stephen? 
Yeah. <laughs> he is cool. Yeah, and a lot of tax collectors are cool. And, and he hung out with sinners. I was going to name somebody, but I won't do that. <laughs> you know who you are, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the Scripture says we've all sinned come short of the glory of God. And Jesus hung out with those folk. As a matter of fact, he hung out with them so much that the Pharisees got upset. Uh, this man, listen, they, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Horrible, horrible. No, it's wonderful. You see, in Christ, if you open your heart to Christ, you are never alone. He goes with you. As a matter of fact, if you've opened your heart to him, he leads you in his love and in his grace. Here's Jephthah. He knows nothing of love. The poor guy. I feel badly for him, don't you? All together, one, two, three. Thank you, yes. Poor Jephthah. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes the leaders of Gilead. And they want him to come back. They want him to lead. You know why? Because they are in a needy position. They need him. And so he come, they, he, they come to him and they say, hey, listen, we need your skills in the battlefield. We want you to be our commander. He says, wait a minute. Why do you need me now when you hated me before? You see, he's in a power position in this negotiation. Did you notice how they come back? Did, did you read it that closely? We read way too quickly, don't we? When they come back to him after he says, why would you want me? They say, okay. We want you to be our head. Did you catch that? From commander to chief. Interesting. And so there's this negotiation going on. And so he comes back, not as someone who is loved, but as someone who is needed. And there's a difference. And in our world, that gets all confused. Somehow we think that if this relationship meets our needs, it's a relationship of love. But that's not love at all. That has nothing to do with love. As a matter of fact, those kind of relationships become very painful because then you become uh, this, this connectedness that you can't, you can't even live, you can't even survive. Why? Because that's not what love is all about. Love isn't about what you need. It's about what you can give. And Jesus showed this very clearly as he came to this earth and people needed, uh, they thought they needed him to be their king. They thought they needed him to overthrow the Roman government. They thought they needed him to meet their needs right now. And Jesus stepped into their lives and began to transform them and to show them that what he really wanted to do was fill their hearts with a desire to give and to love. And it's a wholly different totally different experience and yeah there were times in the midst of that he met their needs and there were times in the midst of that that he drew them out and there were times in the midst of that where he healed them miraculously and there were times in the midst of that where they felt like they had the power over everything like everything was great but then hard times came and the question was did they still believe he loved them and when things got really tough you noticed what happened those who were there based on need found themselves running did you catch that? You remember, don't you? The disciples were all about it as long as they thought Jesus needed them. And so when the, the soldiers come and arrest Jesus, Peter, 
whips out his sword. Here we go. Whap! Hits Malchus's ear. He doesn't get it at all. That has nothing to do with love, Peter. That kind of power only shows that you have some kind of power on a sword, and that's not going to do it. And Jesus stops, says, Peter, put the sword away. That's not what this is all about. Takes the ear of Malchus. I get this image that he picks it up off the ground. <laughs> Puts it back on. Says, that's not what I'm about. And when they hung him on the cross, most of those disciples were dis- had disappeared. Did you notice that? There was one who, was, who had got it. To a certain extent. You, you remember that? There was one disciple that was there. Do you remember his name? What was his name? John. John. John was there. And he's watching the one he loves die. And he still doesn't get it all, but he knows he wants to be there. Why? Because he loves him. Not because he could give him something, but because he loves him. And he, in the midst of that, what he didn't realize was Jesus was giving him everything. Because as Jesus died on that cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them. And in that moment as he died, all of John's sins were taken on that cross. And John walked away. He still didn't understand it. But three days later, these women show up at his door and tell him, hey, listen, we were just at the tomb and Jesus isn't there. And Jesus shows that gift of love as he gives John not just forgiveness, but he gives John eternal life. And you see, when you receive that kind of love, that never-ending love, you see, that's what that kind of love is. That kind of love changes you forever. So what's love got to do with this whole thing? Well, I want you to see very clearly that when when the, the leaders go to God uh, to make their vow, you see, they're, they're thinking a religious thing, right? Uh, we're going to make our vows before God, and they're thinking a religious thing. And God's not about religion. He's about a relationship with you. You see, what happens up here has less to do with love than what happens down here. You know that. You've all done stupid things because you love somebody. Things that wouldn't make sense up here, but made all kinds of sense down here. And you see, they, they went to God to get God to justify their decision. And by the way, I see this all the time. People come to me, we want to get married. Why do you want to get married? Well, because we're in love. Oh, really? What does that mean for you? Well, we're just, you know, we can't stand being away from each other. Well, that's great. Let's talk about what love really is. Are you willing to give your life for this other person? Well, I, I, yeah, sure, why not? And then I begin to ask questions like this. What about your relationship with God? Where is God in all this? And a number of them begin to look at you like, hey, this, this is my relationship, man. This has nothing to do with God. And this gets us in trouble real quickly. And you see, they want to build their relationship on the other person. 
What's the problem with that? They're trying to get their fulfillment out of a human being rather than out of God. And as we begin to talk about their relationship with God, I pray that they build their relationship on God and on Jesus Christ because that's the firm foundation. When things start to go down, they can call upon God together and they can hold together in Him because that's the foundation upon which we can build our lives. And when the storms come, there's a firm foundation upon which to hold. I find it interesting that frequently these days, uh, uh, you don't see this quite so often, but the president just um, was inaugurated. When he's inaugurated, he puts his hand on the Bible. And I often wonder, what does that mean? Is that just a religious thing we do? Or is that done because there's a personal relationship with the God who loves us? You see, that's what God would have us do. Too often I'm, I'm afraid we work out a religious obligation rather than out of the God who loves us. And yet this God is an awesome God. I want to go through this real quickly because I want you to hear this. This is so important. This God is love. And some of you will say, oh, I've heard this all before. Yeah, you have. You need to hear this every day because God loves you. First of all, he loves you unconditionally. One of the neat things about a dog is that dogs have this thing with their owners. And, and it, it's amazing because you can treat the dog badly and what's it do? It comes back. Why would it do that? Because you have food. Exactly. And it knows where that food is. <laughs> But what's neat about that is it's a great image of what God does for us. You see, God loves us unconditionally. It's not based on us. And the good news is it's not based on us because we are human beings and as human beings, we make bad decisions and we we make bad choices and we get confused at times and we don't know what tomorrow will bring. And so we kind of get into this this role where we just go on living day after day after day and we find ourselves empty and alone and afraid. And, And we sometimes think, well, why would God love me? I know at one point I said yes to and I've kind of wandered away. The good news is he's still pursuing you just like that father. The scripture tells us that God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, you see, separated from him, enemies of his, he loves us so much that he died for us unconditionally. He didn't wait for you to change. He doesn't wait for you to be perfect. He just calls you to come to him. He seeks you out because he loves you unconditionally. God offers us that love freely. And it's really amazing that as he comes to us, he gives us that love. He offers it to us. It's not that you have to earn it. You can't do anything to earn the love of God. He just offers it to you. Because in His eyes, you are incredibly special. The rest of the world may think that you're no good, that you're beyond hope. But in Christ, He sees you as someone who's special. And He wants to hang out with you. And He offers you His love. And He proved that on the cross. And this is what John 3.16 says. You've read it a hundred times. Read it again. For God so what? Love the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Notice the only thing in that that you would have to do it all is to believe. 
doesn't say whoever becomes perfect might have eternal life. It doesn't say whoever follows the right path today would have eternal life. It doesn't say that if you were good enough, you could have eternal life. If you had enough money, you'd have eternal life. If you had the right relationships, you'd have eternal life. If you went to the right church, you'd have it. It doesn't say that. It says if you simply believe, you shall have eternal life. That's how much God loves you. He wants you to be at his house. That's what eternal life is, by the way. The scripture tells us that when we die, we go to live with him. He wants you in, your, in his house. And he seeks you out this morning. He loves you. And then finally, he wants to make you his child. I love that. Because, you know, your children do things you can't stand sometimes. You still love them. You still love them. And you as a child, and I as a child, I've made mistakes. Um, didn't change the fact that I was loved. Now, for some human parents, that's true, right? Unfortunately, some human parents don't get it, and some of them weren't loved. But the truth of the matter is, in Christ, He loves you as a good parent loves. He loves you forever. Isn't that awesome? Nothing would change that love. In 1 John 3, John writes this, See what, love the, what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we are will be, I'm sorry, what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. He loves us so much that he makes us his children. Isn't that awesome? And here's the thing. As a child... What's a child, what's a young child do? Don't they imitate their parents? I think it's funny, you can watch them. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's not funny because they say things and you think, I wonder where they got that. And then you realize, oh yeah. Why is it the first, kid, the first chi- thing a child says is the word no? <laughs> because they've heard it over and over and over again. It's interesting, isn't it, how children, little children, act like their parents. And that's our challenge today, isn't it? Because here's the point. If we are going to be God's children, then we need to act like God. And what that means is that we love everybody unconditionally. Doesn't matter what color their skin, doesn't matter where they come from, doesn't matter who they are. We are called to love them. Can you do that? And in our country today, there's a lot of hate. And a lot of pushing people out. Let's let's push people away. Let's push people away. I hear the brothers of Gilead. They're not like us. They're not of our kind. They're not our people. What's Jesus say? Those are the kind of people he loves. Unconditionally. If we're going to be people like Jesus, if we're going to become like Him, then we have to be willing to share that love. We we can't just sit back and say, yeah, I love you from a distance. We have to get involved. We have to really love them. We have to offer that love freely and recognize we may get slapped in the face and it may not look pretty in the end, but ultimately we can show them His love. I, I, I think of the story of joy that was told last night at the Valentine's Banquet. And it's a story of this young lady who was in Brazil, and she had a horrible start. 
Her mother didn't want her. Her father was her grandfather. Her grandmother didn't want her. And at, 11, at seven years old, she left home. And at 11, she found herself at Home Unlimited. And what she said is, when she got there, she finally discovered what love really is. You know why? Because Philip and Corinne Smith were willing to go to Brazil and share God's love with these kids, many of whom are out on the streets, aren't loved, aren't cared for. As a matter of fact, at one point, the police were shooting them because they were a nuisance. And God called Philip and Corinne to show his love to them. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to go to Brazil. We got people who live right next to us who feel like nobody cares and nobody loves them. And God may be calling you to share that kind of love. You say, well, what if they don't, you know, what if they reject me? What if they don't like me? What if they, what if they get upset with me? What if, what if, you can give all the what ifs and you can see all that and Christ will tell you, I died for you. What if they kill you? You'd be just like me. Can we really love? Can we love unconditionally? And are we willing, in the midst of all of this, to have that life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ? You see, that's what love is really all about. The world will tell you that, that love is this and love is that, but the Scripture says that God is love. And the better you know Him, the more you know what love really is all about. And He wants you to be filled with his love this morning. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you loved us unconditionally. Forgive us when we put conditions on our love. Thank you, Lord, for offering yourself to us freely Forgive us, Lord, when we put stipulations on our love. Thank you, Lord, for coming to this earth to transform us into exactly what you created us to be, your children, to live forever with you. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, when we become rebellious children and can only see to the end of this life. Lord Jesus, we pray for those this morning who have never experienced your love, never opened their hearts to you. They may have come week after week and have never really allowed you to come in. Lord, there's a lot of reasons. They've been broken, they're hurt, they're afraid, they're alone. And yet, Lord, you have what they need to fill their lives, to give them hope and peace and joy again. We pray, Father, that they would open their hearts to you this morning. And that you would give them the greatest gift of all. Forgiveness for all those things in the past. And hope for all eternity. Born in your love. Thank you Jesus. Amen.